are tuned in to the Way of Healing podcast, where we inspire humans to connect more deeply to their experience of life. My name is OJ. My name is Casey. We are connecting with practitioners to talk about the potential of the innate healing powers within. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Way of Healing podcast. I'm Casey. That's still Casey. I'm OJ. (laughs) I went to a rave. No, I didn't. I just don't have... (laughs) all of my voice today, but that's okay because we're sharing the space today with the lovely Nanaki Pretty of Liv Kintsugi. Nanaki is a craniosacral therapist. She does raindrop technique that she's going to talk to us about, and she integrates these two into healing and wellness programs. So we're so happy to have you here today, Nanaki. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very Welcome, excited Anaki. to be here. Thank you, guys. So your website is Live Kintsugi. Can you like spell it and, and tell us, tell our listeners what that is? Yeah. So Kintsugi is a Japanese technique of repairing broken pieces of pottery with seams of gold. So the way that I refer to Kintsugi is a metaphor of approaching the body and bringing a new sense of beauty to that awareness of what is broken and that can be repaired. So using the the art of repair as an approach to find your healing story. That's very cool. I love that it's replaced with gold. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it was broken and we made it pretty. Mm, exactly. Pretty made it pretty. Yes. And Nucky's last name is P-R-I-D-D-Y, yes. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. I uh, I love that. And a lot of times people have things that are broken. I'm using air quotes around that that they don't even know is there, right? Like, I didn't know I had that deep, old wound. I didn't know that I was holding on to some childhood mumbo jumbo that is definitely not serving me. So I'm going to, let's bring it out and let's like, ta-da. Let's Mm -hmm. highlight it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's acknowledge it. Yeah, let's bring it to the surface. Right. Cool. So your tagline is awakening people to their optimal expression of their body and being. What does that mean to you? I definitely like to approach the body as something other than the physical dense matter of what you see on a table. The body is much more. There is an electromagnetic field and a quantum field that we can access. So when we're able to, through the through the practice, we are essentially shedding genetic and parental informed packages that we have been brought up with. And in turn, those inform these restrictions and tensions that exist within our body. And sometimes when we're able to reveal a part of ourselves, we can start to dismantle and start to break down what was you and what was not you. So does that tap into like epigenetics and ancestral wounding? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So being able to address the field, because when you heal something on this dimension, you're healing something on all other dimensions. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about dimensions. We're gonna get we're gonna get a little deep in this podcast. If you guys are following along with us, Kevin Coe, our last guest, talked about doing the deep work and doing the shadow work and addressing things in our lives that we didn't want to look at. And Anaki's working with that as well, that she's also working with the different dimensions. Did you wanna talk a little bit about what that means? I think when uh, sometimes some some clients aren't always ready to go down that route. So I think there's a feeding of a different type of language because we are so instructed and constructed based on these five limited senses. You know, our reality is not just this projection of what we see through our eyes. And there is a much 
greater field that we are accessing. And in the same way that our body is this transmitter and receiver of information and frequencies, everything that we expose ourselves to, whether it's TV or the radio or telephones, it is a transmission of information that we absorbed into our field. And that isn't always necessarily something that is feeding us in the greatest light. And our body and our psyches know that when we are confronted with something and it creates its own resistance within the field that then becomes a manifestation within our dense body, mm -hmm. the material body. Right. Yes. Or the body or something in our life, like a blockage that's preventing us from reaching our full potential. Yeah, I think... You know, esoterically, how I think of accidents and illnesses, they are a unconscious statement of something so threatening that our ego consciously can't accept. Ooh. So when these manifestations of these chronic injuries or illnesses come up in our life, it is that crisis. That's, that, that's the healing crisis. It's, it's an awakening that you chose and you wrote for yourself before you came into this world that this was going to be the point of you being able to transcend and or not or not yeah or not but hopefully you find the way of healing podcast and you're <laughs> able to start to explore <laughs> these elements of accountability and responsibility that you have for your soul to experience fully what you're here for in mm -hmm. this lifetime nanaki tell us a little bit about what your work consists of I mentioned to our listeners craniosacral therapy and raindrop technique. Can you tell us about the two and do you put them together in the same session? Do they do alternate? What does it look like? Yeah, there's definitely, we, we want to alternate. We want to match. We want to meet the body with where you are on the day of the session. I've realized in working with people that meeting, doing one session is not beneficial for anybody. So in the capacity of how I like to work with someone is you being able to find that correlation or touch upon what the pain point exactly is. And we start to kind of break down why that was brought up or why that has manifested. Craniosacral therapy is a beautiful way to use as an entry point into somebody's nervous system. Not everybody's system makes themselves available or is accessible to somebody stepping into their field. So raindrop technique is a pretty potent detox to both the nervous system and the immune system to allow your field and allow your body and allow the mind to open yourself up to a new way of receiving information. So with Raindrop, there is a, you know, nine different essential oils that are absorbed through the arc line of your foot, which is essentially the reflexology points of your spine. So we send an electrical charge to the spine that this is essentially where we're going to be starting the process. And then through the use of plant medicine, of the aromatherapy, of the essential oils, that becomes infused into the spinal nerves once the spinal application takes place. So there's other energetics and polarity techniques of being able to turn on the circuit system because, you know, I believe that there is a blueprint, an energetic blueprint encoded within us and being able to use these different modalities to turn on that circuit system of channels that have become blocked and where we need to clean the gutters. That's the baseline of what raindrop technique brings to the client. So it's a clearing of the canvas. It's a clearing of the nervous system to allow a reset for all other sessions, whether it be, you know, craniosacral therapy, just pure energy medicine to push into the system. So you mentioned you don't do uh, one-off sessions anymore. 
And I know for myself, one-off sessions, like you said, aren't as effective as you'd like them to be. And you're working on a much deeper level than that. So what does a typical program with you look like? I offer a six-week and a 12-week program because I feel that there is a commitment to somebody's healing process. And I'm happy to refer out to somebody that wants to experience something. But I think that also reflects a level of them not being able to step in fully or commit fully to the process work that is what we do. There is a dismantling. There is a rewiring of the subconscious codes for you to even step into a place where your body's then going to be able to release and discharge and dissipate why that trauma even showed up in the first place. And that's definitely not going to happen in one session. And maybe if I see the person the following month or two months later, where you have allowed yourself to fall back into the holding patterns or have not kept a practice of coming into yourself and doing the work, Hmm. because that's what it's about. It's about doing the work. And I have a certain rule set and meditation is non-negotiable. So I require people that within the program that they commit And they're investing themselves. It's a currency of how you're using that energy. It's a currency of how you're using your money to invest in your well-being and your transcendence and the evolution of you being able to work through an old paradigm or an old code that isn't benefiting you anymore. And really, six weeks kind of goes by in a flash. You know, like, I mean, you're not asking for six years of a commitment. What I'm finding, too, in this kind of new era of healing right? It used to just be massage. Massage was a catch-all phrase, really. And it was like you going, lying down on a table and checking out and having somebody else do the work. I think that what we are realizing is that we have expanded to a place where we realize that we are in the driver's seat and we as not as practitioners, as clients, as somebody on the table, as people, we We are driving the bus and who do we let on the bus and when do we stop and what routes do we take? But there's a requirement for us to have the desire to deepen our own awareness of ourself. And so that's part of what Nanaki's services are offering. That's what I'm getting is like, you're opening doors for people that they may or may not know are closed. And then you're like, okay, what's inside this room? Let's clean this out. We're going to take these old books and these old newspapers and we're going to take the drapes down and dust them and Maybe we'll put some new furniture in there. So I like that. I love that you are right out of the gate asking for your clients to commit to their own self-discovery. So brava, woman. Bravo. Thank Mm. you. No, it is. It's a therapeutic alliance. And I believe that as therapists and practitioners, we are there to educate people. We are educate, you know, we have to show them how to meditate. We have to show them how to find their breath, show them how to connect with themselves, show them how to ground, show them how to even put their bare feet on grass. I mean, there are these concepts that nobody teaches you, even 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 boundaries. Nobody teaches you how to set boundaries and how to say no is okay. And again, it's a lot of re-educating and teaching people how to tap into that resource that's already inside them, that for whatever reason, for whatever trauma, for the programs and the codes, we have forgotten. Or we've never been made aware of in the first place. It's like, it's all here. 
And that there's many interpretations of one thing. There's so many facets to one thing. There's so many perceptions to one thing. It reminds me of a story when OJ and I were in massage school together. And Nanaki, by the way, was a student of mine when she did her mm-hmm. foundations course. I was a TA in her yes. class. We all were at the same massage school. And then we've been classmates yes. and colleagues. But OJ and I were in the same foundations course. And there was a boundaries exercise. And OJ and I were partnered. And you were asked to draw your boundary with your hands. And OJ boundary he like came as close as he could to my face and like brought his arms down and I thought he was saying like don't get close to me at all and this is a nonverbal exercise and then we swapped and I did my boundary and then when we talked about it afterwards what I realized is that OJ was extending his boundary as far as he could as close to me as he could inviting me in and I had perceived it I had interpreted it as don't come any closer. So it's like there's so much beauty in the ability to, without attachment, without blame, and without utter certainty, to talk about things that are going on and to allow for many different interpretations of the same thing. Just to to riff off the word of detachment, I think the art of detachment is a skill in itself. A lifelong pursuit, you mean? Truly. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think you can still be present and participate with something without becoming entangled within it. And I think so easily we become entangled and we lose sense of our own internal barometer of knowing where we stand in contrast to something else. So yes, boundaries and the art of detachment is key to knowing your wave and knowing your own vibration. Absolutely. Mm. Because a lot of this work is detaching yourself from the stories mm-hmm. that you've told yourself for mm-hmm. your entire life, essentially, right? These stories that have affected us on a subconscious level that we don't even realize have affected us or, or caused us to act in a certain way. And it's being okay with letting that go and knowing that the other side, it may be better, it may be worse, but being open to that experience. But it may not be anything like it like it's not something we have to judge right right right. it's like this art of detachment is what allows us to expand our own experience and explore it's like realizing that nanaki is a woman sitting around my kitchen table but she is not other than myself that this whole experience these are our customized experience for right now in this moment that it's not so much about othering It's actually about the inclusion and realizing that we're mirrors. We're all just mirrors for each other. And things that are happening are happening for a reason. It's not just like, do-do-do-do-do. Nothing going on here, you know? Yeah, random act here, random act there. Right. (laughs) Yeah, we can get lost in the the TikTok of culture. Stuart Wilde talks a lot about about the TikTok. And it's, it's, it's a mental framework of you know, the go, go, go of not ever finding the clarity of seeing the experience for what it needs to present itself to you. The way that we see life is a projection of a very, you know, these still frames of a transitory appearance that is projected through our eyes. Yet in actuality, we see time as linear, but all of time has already taken place. We are just experiencing these spaces of events one by one by one. So if you can step into this potential of trusting and surrendering to all possibilities 
and that the person in front of you is essentially a reflection of you, you know, might also be a reflection of you in a previous form. Maybe you have already experienced that lesson and this person is there to remind you of the lesson and what you've already moved through. It's also just having fun with whatever challenges and growth comes your way. It's being in that neutral energy of not having to be so reactive to when shit hits the fan or when something miraculous happens. It's just knowing that that had to present itself for you to come into a new awareness. And how you move through it is going to be your biggest grace and your biggest gift to yourself. What's your take on being open to things happening and being non-judgmental and at the same time manifesting and wanting something more? My belief on manifestation is that you want to be in alignment with what is true to your path. And sometimes when you want to manifest something and you want to manifest that Powerball ticket or you want to manifest that fabulous job, sometimes that that's not really aligned for your growth. So I think being in alignment and expanding your field to be open to the potential, being in alignment is being in that neutral position. Manifesting, I feel, takes a little bit more of a, I think, like rajasic um, energy where you you want to control a situation. It's more young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you talk about the neutral space, that is such a pretty place to be in because that's where we're so open to absorbing or seeing, witnessing, being aware of whatever is coming. When we manifest, we're in our heads. I like to say we'll manifest in my case. What manifestation, what if we talk about it more as like intention setting? And again, it goes along the same lines as like, well, it might not be what your highest alignment is. But if this is something that really speaks to my heart, I can move in that direction. Absolutely. And then staying in the neutral space, I will be aware of what is coming at me. What signs and signals? And do I stay on that course or do I take a left, right? I think that's key with participating. You have to participate and show up to yourself in order to create that dynamic field for that energy and that opportunity to then present itself to you. If you're just liking a spiritual meme here and there and you know saying a positive affirmation to yourself, that's not enough to affect the field. To be in harmony with the universe is to align yourself with that energetic flow that the cosmos are in cycle with. You put yourself within that cycle of harmony. And then the expression of life is that those opportunities and those swirls of magnificence and synchronicity just propel itself towards you because you are then in a harmonic expression with the cosmos and you become aligned to everything. Not to discourage people, though, maybe for them it's going to start with a like and a follow and, a, and, and an affirmation. Yes. Right? It can, that can be a we, good can start. We can start point. there. We can yeah. start there, but I'm, yeah, I believe. She's serious, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little tough love when it comes to that. And my clients know that I'm going to give it to you like it is. Which is awesome because yeah. that can offer major transformation without expectation. But the potential, like you have a very potent seed that you're offering Mm. to germinate. Yes, it's not just the session. It's what takes place between those sessions, how you're making those correlations of 
an event that you remembered that you had forgotten and it becomes a keystone to being able to resolve something you've been holding on to for so long. Learning how to meditate. You know, I believe you have to meditate every day and not only as a way to connect with your breath because the breath in itself is magical sonic vibration that attunes you truly to the cosmos and to the energy of the cosmos. You know, we are an instrument. And when you're able to vibrate the cosmos within, your external environment is also a reflection of what's happening inside the soil of your own mind. So if you're not feeding yourself, and this isn't about diet, what are you feeding? How do you mind your diet? Are you watching Housewives? Are you watching reality TV? Are you, what are you feeding the soil of your mind because if it's not fruitful then you're not going to harvest anything of abundance and if you're not maintaining it yes then watering it then fertilizing it then stuff gets stagnant exactly yeah what's meditating for you do you teach a certain type of meditation i practice kundalini so my satna practice starts at 5 a.m with the amrit vela my kundalini teacher has really helped me cultivate a beautiful practice and and it's and it's specific to the quirks that make me. And I think finding that practice and finding that teacher as, you know, you call them in. And that really was how I found my teacher. I called in somebody that I wanted to be able to raise my Shakti. And all of a sudden I started dreaming of her. She started coming to me in my dreams. And this truly was my teacher before I had even reached out to her. But my sadhana practice consists of about an hour of meditating. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be able to, uh, my first session of the day is with the divine. And when you teach people to meditate, is it open to their way of meditating? Is it an hour long? Like, what does that look like? Not to be intimidating to people thinking like, oh, if I work with Nanaki, she's going to make me meditate for an hour. But what does that look like? No, I don't. I don't scare people right off the bat. Um, (laughs) Maybe, maybe on week three, then I'll throw that out there. But no, it's, it always starts with breath work. You know, we have to train the system. And breath work is a beautiful way to just clear the hemispheres of the brain. And so when we're able to start to clear the distortions that exist within your own mind, then, then you're able to drop down. But there's a reverence that you create with yourself. And you realize that without that practice in place, you know, when life happens, you can miss your breath work that morning and you still, you know, you can do sadhana at any hour of the day. I think there is a very magical hour that exists between before that's two hours before sunrise where you are able to harness and tap into a field of consciousness of all these ascended masters and yogis that are participating and you feel that that connection and, you know, ultimately that's that's what finding your breath is, is realizing that there is this seamless interconnectedness that, you know, we are bound to. And it's a beautiful reminder. Many, many cultures around the world practice just before dawn. They hold their most important ceremonies sometimes at that hour. Like the Council of Elders, where I lived in Africa, I was in Ghana, and there was like a, okay, at four something something, we're going to come a knocking because we need you to participate in this. And it's when there's the least activity. There's the least activity. There's the least influence by our mortal popcorn and confetti. And it's the quietest. And spirits, that's when they're 
doing their work. So a lot of people, even those who aren't really tapped into or committed to the belief that we're talking about right now, they'll say, oh, I had this crazy dream right before dawn. Or the dreams that they remember the most are often those in that period of sleep because that is when we are clear. We are the clearest channels. So yeah, you can do it at any time of the day. But that time before dawn, and it's not always easy, especially when you lose an hour of sleep and it's darker and you're like, bah, it's the middle of the night. It's before the activity of the day, before the mundanity hits you of like, oh, I got to pay my phone bill and I got to, you know, buy more toilet paper and whatever else. That space is very sacred. Yeah. Yeah. So even if it's 10 minutes, I mean, Nanaki's, you know, she's she's got her own thing that she's going to prescribe. But like, again, if you're just starting out, just Try five minutes, five minutes, five minutes and see what it does for you. It is. It's a, it's a sacred time. They also say it's the shared space of when the moon and the sun are transitioning. So the sun is essentially ushering the moon and there's that energy of transcendence between the positive and negative charge. And you sit between the neuter and you become the vessel for all those energies yeah, and that takes us back you. to neutrality, mm-hmm. right? Being in this neutral place. That's where we can absorb. Mm-hmm. That's where we information is transmitted mm-hmm. without judgment, without attachment, without placing value. So aside from the raindrop in the cranio, what do the other sessions look like? Are you teaching meditation? Are you helping people drop in? Are you doing journaling work? How does that look for clients? They're postural exercises and breathwork exercises. There are check-ins. There's a lot of dialogue, but it's really about bringing an awareness to you listening to the messages that your body is giving you beyond the clinical techniques of, you know, going into a cranial hold or going through the protocol of raindrop or holding a couple points of the general session of polarity. Yeah, we're, we're working in a field, so it's hard to tell people that I'm working with the unseen because so much of what we do is invisible. And when we're able to hold space and open up that field for spirit guides and the essence of your lineage to come through and to give you answers, that's where you're able to find your communion with yourself. Because I think so much of our culture does not help us step into our own body. There's so much disembodying of and separating ourselves from our body, that there is an integration of body and spirit because we live on two different dimensions, even though much of our life is witnessed through the physical and material world. Our spirit is witnessing a dimension that is infinite. And that dimension is not garnered or ruled by birth, death, or decay. It is a universal consciousness, and that's where this session, and that's where ultimately the work um, is taking place, is we want to affect you on that etheric plane. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, we can give you that mechanical release, and we can soften that tissue, and I can make sure that you're not going to have that that pain in your back, but let's talk about that pain on your back. Let's talk about the weight of the world that you feel. Let's talk about your own emotional support system or lack thereof, you know, your back and your spine, that is your, that's your legacy of your ancestors. 
that you've come into this world with. And Western medicine will speak to it as, you know, it's your spine is also an area that when your system becomes compromised, anything that is dormant, if it's infectious or is bacterial, it becomes activated. So why, why does it become activated? What is compromised in your life that you need to have this awareness? I want to work with the body. I want to work with spirit. I want to also give you a language and give you a new way of thinking of yourself and how you're able to command what you want from the energies that are available to you, from the forces of you just being in alignment with the, the natural law of the universe. And this all coming from uh, pre-med, right? Nanaki was studying medicine. She thought that she was going to become a traditional allopathic doctor. She was trained at uh, Upledger for craniosacral. I know that that was some of her, her training there. So given you have that very concrete background and the exploration of what we don't see, which is like yin and yang, night and day, what are the pains and the aches and the disorders and discomforts inviting us to see, right? Is that part of what the work is that yes. you're inviting yes. your clients yes. to partake in, Absolutely. right? To have agency around like, great, I have this pain on my back. It's, you know, I'm told it's my L4, L5 or my, you know, my sciatic nerve. Well, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Great. I have tennis elbow. I have Whatever the thing in the wrist is, right? That's like, whoa, I've been typing too much. Great. How can we change that both anatomically, mechanically, and spiritually? What is it inviting you to see, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to dismiss the scope of what Western medicine offers. If I'm running down a hill and I, you know, break my wrist and my bone is sticking out of my arm, I'm not going to go to a Reiki master. I'm... <laughs> going to go get it taken care Eventually of. Eventually you will. Right. But, but exactly. And that's that going to be your first. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's where I'm going. Yes. Once I get it set back in, I'm then going to go and have that dialogue with myself. Oh, where did this inflexibility in my life had to present itself at this particular moment? Mm-hmm. I mean, just the other day I'd gone to you know, a Kundalini class and the particular class was all about releasing the anger from childhood. And the following day, craziest ache in my hip. I'm like, oh, I pulled a muscle <laughs> and did not, you know, like here I am, like I can, I can do this. I get the roller out. I'm stretching it out. I'm putting my essential oils out and all the, I start limping. I'm like denying the fact that it could be something other than my own structural integration. I'm like, oh, this is a lesson right here. I'm like, okay, let me, let me step into this. I realized that earlier in that day, had a beautiful experience and I wanted to be able to share it with my mother. And the response that I got from her was not attuned to what I had wanted and my body absorbed it. And I realized that in that ache in my hip, that the the same way that a mother gives you the support by putting the child on her hip, that there was that maternal exchange where I was then wanting to feel that support from my mom, but my mom was essentially the child on my hip. Mm. Two hours later, it was gone. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Because when we have the awareness of what the emotional attachment is to it and what the specific information it's telling us about our life is, it can leave. The body process. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I kind of sat there and closed my eyes and I think so many of us can relate to that feeling of like, now we're adults. We're coming back to Mm -hmm. our parents with whatever knowledge and whatever we've gleaned from our experience in this life. And they may or may not be receptive to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like. Hey, Dad, have you listened to the podcast lately? Yeah, it's a lot of stuff that I don't really understand, right? Totally. I love you, Dad. But sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and this is also the same mother that when I initially went into pre-med, there were only two roles for me that were told that I can do. You either become a lawyer or you become a doctor. I had to redefine my approach to medicine that wasn't curated by what my mother wanted to see for me. So Nanaki, you were born and raised in the Los Angeles area, yeah? Mm-hmm. Were you kind of surrounded by any of these things as a youth? Did you grow up with with some of this fuller spectrum of what medicine is? How did you find your way to where you are now? My father is a creative echo of all the esoteric teachings that I, I love so much. So he he introduced me to the Tree of Life from a very young age. Uh, He had some really beautiful Hindu magic books that there were just these beautiful, you know, pages of pages of symbolism and charts. And I was really into Egyptology and, you know, mummies and, you know, the deities. So he was always very good about feeding this very quirky aspect of me. And then my mother was, you know, much more pragmatic and practical and but I had some aunts that were Reiki masters. So, you know, speaking to energy was not uncommon. If I had a stomach ache, my mom would, you know, use animal lard to satiate the tissue and how that was going to be absorbed into the body. So there was always these like very, you know, weird practices that were indigenous to my mother's culture. And then I think the the more you know, intellectual conversations were were taking place with my father. Somewhere down the line, I, you know, I almost rebelled against it. And I think that's where, you know, me wanting to step into a more allopathic, regimented structure, I felt gave me an element of credibility. And it wasn't until, you know, I was deep into pre-med and doing a rotation at UCLA Medical Center that I was really confronted with separating patient and science. And there was no conversation of the human potential, even though I I knew that the energetic blueprint of who we are and that electrical charge that reverberates through our chakras is the vital energy that feeds us and resonates and keeps us moving in this life. It was a journey. It was a journey back to remembering what I felt to be true and It wasn't until I discovered craniosacral through an injury where the only scope to be able to remedy this was through surgery. And after six months of monthly treatments, I was fine. I was healed. And I was no longer wanting to use this as my own formal treatment. I wanted to learn it and educate other people of how to have them participate in their own life with this type of work. So many healers come to doing the work after they've experienced it for themselves, you know, their own journey of healing and then going, 
oh, great, this is a valuable thing. It brought me back to myself. Mm. It helped me find my heart. I'm healthier. I know I plunged to depths that I hadn't been introduced to until that point. So, yeah, somebody else recently was like, you know, in law school and was like, this isn't, this isn't it, you know? Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about continuing the work, even if you are a healer. We talked about that off air and how there's a lot of healers out there who preach or teach people these things, but don't practice on themselves or don't continue to work on themselves, right? And it's a continuous thing where you're constantly working at yourself and looking at the things in your life that need work. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. There's a constant tending to the garden of trauma. And I say trauma with a big smile across my face because I think these are all ways to speak to those moments in time where if you're not doing the work, if you aren't there to meet your client with where they are and you haven't done the work yourself, Mm -hmm. then you've already limited their ability to recover because if they are a reflection of you and you have not worked through what they have come to you with, you can't help them. And that's why I instill a you know pretty, and I, I enjoy the regimen that I, I have. I enjoy waking up an hour before that wasn't always the case, you know, I, mm-hmm. but I do instill certain energetic practices and regular dismantling with myself so that I can hold space for somebody and that I'm able to step into their nervous system without their body feeling like somebody is trying to do something to it and finding that internal fulcrum in life and with everything that has happened within your own life and being able to see it as just a beautiful way to uncover all those parts of yourself that some that for a good portion you know you you can feel very shamed by and feel very like a broken record well, there's a lot of people out there also that are in denial that they need to do work, right? Not even necessarily people that are healers, but people in general. I've talked to so many people. They're like, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I have my shit together, right? And it's never, ever, 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 ever the case. No one has their shit together. <laughs> I'm putting that out there. Nobody out there listening has their shit together. Um, life doesn't happen that way, right? Life is constantly challenging us, challenging our beliefs, challenging our, our bodies, challenging our, our mind, our spirit. And we have to be open to that. And it's a constant learning process. And I think if we ever do stop learning, our time on this earth would be done, right? And we can even be learning in the sense that we're teaching someone and that can be a learning opportunity. So no one has their shit together and there's always something to be done in this world. And if you have trouble finding that, then feel free to reach out to any of us and uh, we'll start dissecting what's going on in your life. And, you know, Nanaki's here offering her services and six weeks is plenty of time to find something. I think every day we have to reconcile with being human. Every time we wake up, we come back into the body and we are reminded of the work that we are here to do. And there's a lot of beauty in there. You can, you can have fun with it. It doesn't have to be all serious. I think being able to address both the body and your mind is where that integration of you honoring this vessel that you came into this world with. You know, your, your body is a emanation of the sound that is inside of you. 
It's repeating. My experience is repeating. You've talked about the blueprint Mm -hmm. inside of us. And then you also talked about the body as an instrument. And both of those concepts came up this past weekend when I was in Ashland, Oregon, training with the Milne Institute for Craniosacral. There's a practitioner in Grass Valley, California, talking about how we have the blueprint and we get knocked off it anywhere on that map, but that blueprint is still the same and we can get back to it. And then the instrument is exactly what you're saying about like waking up and tuning, Mm -hmm. tuning the body. Mm -hmm. You don't just pick up an instrument and start playing it. Mm -hmm. You always tune it. Sometimes people during a set will tune their guitar 17 times Mm -hmm. because it's refinement and refinement and refinement. And however we can be most of service to our own bodies allows us to be in service of our experience of life and others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, this culture is very drive by wire. Our cars are smart. Our phones are smart. They tell, they, they give us a notice when we're supposed to meditate, like our internal clock, the circadian rhythm of our body has been whittled down. So Yes, to attune ourselves back into that nature is key to unlocking that blueprint that has always been there as a reservoir for these resources to be tapped into. You mentioned it earlier, but can you talk a little bit more about um, ancestral codes and ancestral healing and ancestral wounding? Like, What does that exactly mean for listeners out there? Yeah, so I think that what will resonate as a marker for people is that that moment we say, oh, it runs in our family, or my mother had it and my grandmother had it, so I'm going to get it. Mm. You can have these patterns that are genetically encoded into our ancestry, and we inherit them. It's a cellular fabric of how information gets transmitted through our, our lineage. So something that your grandmother can have Um, whatever trauma she has experienced can essentially move down the pipeline and become an activation or become a trigger for you. So in the same way that when a mother gives birth, her biome, her gut chemistry is the framework for that child. So that coding of your mother is now embedded into you. And whatever life experience that she has been brought up with more likely as a child before you're able to decipher what is true for you, what is true for your path, how to feed yourself. You align yourself with your mother. Obviously, you're a child. You have no other, there's no other, there's no other way around it for better or for worse. So it's those, that coding, that coding within the program of what we tell ourselves. And also the genetic imprint is a that's where dismantling, that's where rewiring the echo, the broken record, and stepping into a new canvas for yourself where you don't have to subscribe to that story anymore. Mm. People like to repeat stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also a little bit of being able to even make somebody so cognizant of the words that they use or those familiar patterns um, that keep showing up for you like that is a something that there's a single word that you are looking for that 
is about what us carrying our ancestral wounds through is. And it's not like a luggage or a baggage or a, um, is it something along the lines of that? Is it, is it like a fancier synonym to <laughs> luggage or baggage? Is- yeah, I think there's, it's very much, you know, holds the same weight of the luggage and the baggage, but it's the matrix of the echo. Being able to break that matrix and seeing the correlation of how you play into that story is where you're able to break the pattern. Like rewriting the program. Rewriting the program. Mm -hmm. Is awareness enough to rewrite that program? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awareness and the accountability. Hmm. What has manifested in your life, why it has manifested in your life is key to your body to then creating that softening and releasing within itself for that story to no longer be activated. And it becomes a choice, right? It's like having the awareness, it then falls into our own laps or Mm -hmm. whoever's lap of having the choice of, do I want to keep this? Do I want to change this? Mm -hmm. Do I want to grow past this? Do I like it where it is? It becomes the choice for for the individual. Yeah. And then they can fully, again, go back to owning their own. Beep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> their own beep. Their own beep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not ever, nobody has their shit together, okay? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> no. Not, you know, when we, when we finish this life, that is a marker of, okay, you had, you got as much of your shit together as you could in this lifetime. Right. Moving on. Mm-hmm. But so long as we're here, again, the work never stops. It's like we're constantly in this place of every new day, there's a whole new set of flibbledy bibble to to walk through, to look at, to you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So someone who is in, in the Los Angeles area, do you work with people remotely at all? I don't. I don't. It's not something I'm against. I just I feel that how I can properly facilitate someone with where I'm at is strictly, you know, on the table, hands-on. Rain, raindrop would be pretty tricky without a body yes. to apply the oils yes. to. I do offer activation calls. I feel like that's my seva. That's my way to connect with people that I wouldn't normally be able to connect to if they're in another country. So in the same initial dialogue or initial assessment that I do with clients, you know, even just the other day, I was speaking to a guy in Argentina and it really was just an opportunity to blend the psyche and the body together to kind of bring some correlations in his life that he didn't have the grasp. He didn't have somebody there to facilitate why his father was in the hospital and the news of receiving the terminal diagnosis of his his father, his first instinct was to go and buy a cake. And so I'm thinking he needed sweetness in his life. So where was the lack of sweetness in his own life that he had to go and purchase this cake? And I asked him why his father was in the hospital. And he was like, it all started from type 2 diabetes. Mm. Wow. You can't make this up. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, if you are curious about Nanaki's work, which I'm like, hey, raindrop, can I, can I, I want six raindrop sessions. It's wonderful. How can we reach you in Nanaki? How should people get in touch with you other than through our podcast where we'll post your contact information at our website too, but where can they 
find you? So my office is located in West Hollywood. You can find me on Instagram at Liv Kinsugi. Spell Kinsugi, please. Yes, L-I-V-E-K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Yes, I look forward to receiving all of you. Yeah, Nanaki has some really cool stuff on her Instagram. Um, that was where I got the idea to get her on the show. I saw some of her posts and I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I need to have you on and start talking about some of these things. So thank you so much, Nanaki. It was thank a pleasure you. having you on the show. And uh, thank you again, listeners, for tuning in to another episode on the Way of Healing podcast. And we'll talk soon. Peace. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Way of Healing. We hope that you find yourself inspired. If you enjoyed our show, a gift is to let others know. And we want to hear from you. Please share your feedback so we know how our work is resonating. Make us aware of modalities and practitioners whom we may not know. If you haven't already, please subscribe at thewayofhealingpodcast.com. Our email is thewayofhealingpodcast at gmail.com and find us at facebook.com forward slash thewayofhealing. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats.